Malachi chapter 1, verses 12 to 14. But you profane my name by saying, The Lord's table is defiled, and its food is contemptible. And you say, What a burden, and you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, lame, or diseased animals, or offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is the chief who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, your name is great. And we do pray that as we reflect upon the greatness of your name, revealed through your wrath, that we will fear you and begin to live a life of wisdom, we pray. Amen. This might be a strange idea for some of us, but God's wrath saved my life. God's wrath, his judgment, the knowledge of his holiness saved my life. And you might have heard my story before. I often refer to a year a time of my life when I was 15. I grew up in a Christian home. My Christian experience could be a, a, a faith of works righteousness. I lived with much guilt and shame. I feared my parents and tried to please them to the point where I got in year six the Christian award. But I didn't even know Jesus. But when I hit high school, my emotions changed, my mind changed, I succumbed to the lust of the flesh, I was obsessed with the girls in my year group, I started to get into the wrong crowds and succumb to peer pressure, and that experience happened much on the bus to the point where... I was risking the whole bus's life. I was flicking rubber bands across the whole bus and I had to be placed in the front seat of the bus for an entire year due to my misbehaviour. An entire year. I used to sit on the back seat. Bodyboarding with my friends over the whole weekend, you would not believe what came out of my mouth the vulgarness that my parents would be shocked to hear today. And I went to church every Sunday. But I had never fully experienced the doctrine, the truth of God's wrath until I went to a place, a little tiny town in Tasmania called Poetina, where there was a Christian leadership conference. I don't know how I got there, but I was there. I was learning all about Christian leadership and this youth pastor sat down with me in the hopes that I would learn how to evangelise my friends myself. But the issue was, I didn't even know Jesus. 
And so, you might have heard my story before, he took me through the book of Romans. In fact, it's called the Romans Road, some key passages. And I learnt Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I realised for the first time that before the holiness of God, I had no hope. He then turned to Romans 6.23, For the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages of sin is death. My life of sinning was going to result in eternal judgment, in other words. But then he turned me to Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so, to summarise some of these verses and my experience of them, I recognise that God is holy, that I am completely unholy, that God has a right standard for my life, and that I have fallen short of that holy standard for my life, and that God is going to judge me, and I'm going to be separated from God forever, unless I turn to Jesus Christ recognize my sin and declare that I'm no longer Lord of my life, but someone else is. And who's that someone else? Jesus. Jesus is the Lord of my life. And from that very moment, it all made sense. I was converted. The Holy Spirit came upon me in power And it felt like from within me, a rushing waterfall was going through me. I felt literally that I was being cleansed in that very moment. And that might be a strange idea for some of us. But from that point, from that moment of confession, of repentance, everything changed. And I remember going home and my mum looked at me. She said, who are you? Who are you? Who is this man? Who is this youth? You've changed. The fruit of my conversion with joy, purpose and hope. I was awakened by God's wrath. God's wrath awakens sinners to his greatness and turns them into worshippers. And I want you to hold on to that thought today because we're going to go back to that. And so just a bit of context. Last week we looked at verse 11 and that God plans to make his name great among the nations. That's God's vision. He has a vision that the whole world would worship him. But there's a problem here in the text today. Verse 12. God's name suffers abuse from the nations when it is profaned. Look at me at verse 12. But you, the priests, profane it, God's name, by saying of the Lord's table, it is defiled, and of its food, it is contemptible. And so look at the key word here, it is profane. Can you guys say that? Profane. It means to desecrate or to defile, or to betray something as unholy, 
the priests, through their actions, and we've learned about their actions over the past couple of weeks, through their actions, through their faulty, bad, um, impure sacrifices, they actually were defiling the name of God. They were treating God's name as unholy. And so how did Israel profane the name of God? Well, as I've just shared, they shared um, imperfect sacrifices and they were sharing polluted offerings. We also see in these verses that they had cynical hearts. When God exposed them, they often responded in such a way where they say, Lord, we are not guilty. We are not guilty. We are not in sin. They were unable to hear God's judgments. In essence, the priests were like spiritual frauds, um, phonies, robed pretenders, who orchestrated scandalous religious ceremonies. And that's why they profane the name of God. And this is a severe problem for the fame of God's name in the nations is critical to God. Look back at verse 11. The vision of God is to see his name magnified in all the nations. But Israel violated God's name so badly that the nations surely abused it. Paul the Apostle would say something along the lines of, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Sin profanes God's name among the nations. Our sin, Israel's sin, all our sin hurts God's reputation in the world. And so how might we profane the name of God today? Well, in the context of Romans, which I just quoted, Christian hypocrisy surely provides the world with cheap entertainment. Michael F. Bird, who was one of my lecturers, now the deputy principal at Ridley College, says, quote, hypocrisy is a menace because it harms the integrity of the gospel. And so where might we see hypocrisy today? Where might we see it fester in our lives? Well, here are some questions that Michael asks in his commentary to, in Romans. You who preach against legalism, do you burden others with your own list of rules? You who like to jump on the social justice bandwagon, do you pay a pittance of money to the immigrants who work your yard? You who claim to be pro-family, do you invest any time with your spouse and children? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you watch internet pornography in hotels on business trips? You who boast in your denomination, do you hold your denomination to account when it fails to report sexual abuse? As it is written, Michael says, God's name is blasphemed across the internet because of you. Among many other sins, hypocrisy is a threat to God's reputation in the world. And so I just want to pause and ask the question, looking at your lifestyle, is your lifestyle a cause for good in the world? Does it build up God's reputation? Does it make God's name great in the world? Or does it scorn God's name? That is the issue we're seeing here in Malachi. Their lives are scorning God's name. And so we've seen the problem. 
God's name suffers abuse from the nations when it is profaned. But there's also a solution to the problem. God pours out his wrath upon sinners, those who profane his name. Look with me at verse 13. When you bring injured, crippled or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord. And then verse 14. Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. If we look at verse 14 and keep your eyes on it, God proclaims his judgment upon the priests. Cursed is the what? The cheat. I want you to zoom in on that word cheat for a moment. I think there's a better translation. It actually means this. Rob another of a right, rightful possession by deceit or stealth. That's what the word cheat means here. And you could translate it as cursed is the robber. Cursed is the robber. If we also look at verse 14, we see that the priests also sacrificed, quote, injured animals. Most other Bible translations, and you can see them on the screen. Interpret injured as taken by robbery, NASB, or taken by violence, ESV, or bring the stolen, CSB. In other words, the priests of Israel were so corrupt that they likely injured animals by making them into sacrifices by stealing. So let me say that again. The priests of Israel were so corrupt that they likely, likely injured, injured animals by taking them by force to offer them as sacrifices to God. They were trying to keep the temple doors open by whatever means possible, even if that meant committing serious crimes against those whom they served. If these priests serve today, what would they be like? I imagine that they would do anything to meet their monthly budgets, to guard their reputation, to maintain the quality of their lifestyle. They might manipulate you. They might control women. They might neglect the elderly. They might silence children saying, worship, be quiet. They might mishandle finances. They might withhold key information and use power to instill fear. The priests of Israel were so corrupt they would do anything to meet their own ends. Henry Nowen said, he's a spiritual writer. There is the power that oppresses and destroys. But there is also a true power that liberates, reconciles and heals. That is to say... There are those like Jesus who wield power through the ministry of the towel, serving others, giving up their lives for the other, sacrificing their own desires, being people of mercy and compassion in the world. But there are others who do not lead and serve out of love, but use their role and status to rob, to cheat, and to abuse.
What then does God say to the wicked, these priests? Cursed is the robber. Cursed is the cheat. This word curse means to invoke harm or injury to bring harmful consequences into effect. Curses are how God pours out, in other words, his wrath upon those who aren't living in alignment with his will and righteousness. Judgment comes upon those who actually stand in complete opposition to the will and plans and purposes of God, particularly if you are in a role of leadership. If you are in a role of leadership and are living completely opposite to what God desires from you, rather than being a person of compassion and mercy, if you're literally harming those who you are called to serve, then expect this from our holy God. Judgment. Curses are the active justice of God poured out on those who profane his name. And so, hear this truth. God pours out his wrath upon sinners. God does. He's not soft. He's not squishy. God is not a bubble toy on your car, dashboard, who loves to just smile at you. Sometimes he actually, um, what's another expression? Sometimes he's just deeply saddened by our lives. God pours out his wrath upon sinners. And this is not only a truth confined to the Old Testament. If we don't cherry pick the Bible, but actually read it all, we'll learn that the New Testament also teaches about God's judgment against sinners. Jesus himself tells us to fear God who judges by, quote, destroying both our body and soul in hell, unquote. Jesus said that. Paul speaks of God cursing sinners by giving them over to their, quote, unnatural desires, sexual impurity, shameful lusts, and indecent acts, Romans 1. Paul, Peter, sorry, warns us that the heavens, quote, and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. Jesus and the apostles taught that unsaved sinners would suffer the greatest curse. They'll suffer, quote, the punishment of eternal destruction, unquote. The Bible from start to finish is a book of both blessings, good news, and curses. Bad news for the ungodly. God will reward the obedience that springs from faith, Romans 1.5. But he will punish the disobedience that flows from a life of unrepentant religion. And so how do you feel about the knowledge of God's wrath? The wrath of God is a dreadful thing for sinners. And I want to give you an example to make this really real for you. It might freak some of you out. But there was a pilot who was caught in a crashed plane which caught fire. Little by little the fire roasted the pilot who screamed and begged 
for someone to shoot him. At last, a compassionate man came and brought an end to the pilot's life. But great, terrible, dreadful will it be for those who do not repent of their sin and turn to Christ for life. There's a lake of fire and brimstone burning forever, the scriptures teach, and the torment goes on. The fire continues to burn. There is no way out. The cycle of suffering goes on forever and ever and ever. When I heard this news, I ran to the cross. I wanted Jesus. But growing up, I might have heard a million times that God loves me. But when I heard that God is wrathful and that God hates sin and that God will sentence me, I ran to the cross. I ran to it because I learned that, as Hebrews 10.31 says, it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God as an unrepentant sinner. As someone living my life for myself without a Lord who rules over me through his word. But I'd like to say today, do not lose heart. If we avoid the graphic language of judgment in the Bible, we will not marvel at the gruesome curse Christ bore for us in his own death. The good news of the gospel is that the one who deserved only blessing, which is Jesus Christ, was stricken, smitten, and afflicted on the cross to pay the penalty for our rebellion, our sin. The good news for believers is that Jesus, quote, cancelled the debt of our sin, appeased his wrath, the wrath of the Father against us, and won for us all the benefits of our salvation, says John Piper. The Bible then contains a message of bad news and good news. The bad news for the unrepentant sinner is that they will face God's fury at the end of the age. They'll stand before God's judgment seat, not covered by the blood of Jesus. And they will have to give an account for their life. They will either be sentenced to death if they didn't repent. But if they did repent before they died, they would be sentenced to eternal bliss. And this is the good news for those who believe. Many who believe, who repented, who declared that Jesus is Lord will stand before God on judgment day as forgiven, liberated, blood-washed sinners. These are those who arise with Christ to spend eternity in glory with him before his majesty, worshipping him forever. This is why it's so critical To go out and proclaim the good news of salvation. It is the most urgent message in the world. This is why I'm here today. Because when I realized that God's wrath was upon me and I repented and turned to Christ, I realized everyone needs to hear this. Everyone needs to hear this. This is the only hope in life and death. Jesus died for me. And so, friends, where do you stand today? Are you a person consigned to the lake of fire, judgment? Or a person awaiting eternal glory? It 
So far we've learnt this, the problem. God's name suffers abuse from the nations when it is profaned. The solution. God pours out his wrath upon sinners, those who do profane his name. And the reason behind God's wrath? My final point. God's wrath makes known his greatness, awakening fear in the nations. And that fear has to do with worship. Awakening worship in the nations. Malachi 1.14 says, and you can look with me at 14. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. Look at that small, insignificant, well, it seems insignificant word for. Can you see that? The for? A key principle in understanding your Bibles is to ask, what is the for there for? The word for is a linking word that binds together two statements. Where are these, what are these two statements? We can see them, see them on the screen. At the start of verse 14, we read, cursed is the cheat or cursed is the robber. And then we also read here, I am a great king. In essence, God said, Israel, in verse 14, cursed is the robber for I am a great king. What does this statement mean? Well, the word for reveals the reason behind God's severe curse of Israel's priests. One scholar says, Anthony Peterson, God is judging his people for the sake of his international reputation. That's why God is judging the priests. Because he yearns for his name to be famous in all the world. And right now, these priests who are not even honouring the God over their own nation are actually doing a disfavour, a disservice to God's international reputation. God's local curse is for the sake of God's global fame, in other words. God used a scandal and a curse to make known his greatness and majesty. And since he is the great king of wrath, His name is to be feared among the nations. And so the result of the greatness of God being revealed by his wrath is that the world would fear him. The whole world, not just Israel, but all the nations that surround him and beyond to the very ends of the earth. God unleashes his fury and wrath and judgments throughout the whole of history in order that people will finally bow their knee before him in worship. One could say this, God's wrath awakens fear in sinners and creates true worshippers. But I'd like to say this. There's a fatal problem in many churches today. Fatal problem. We tend to emphasise the good stuff, but ignore the bad stuff altogether. And by ignoring the bad stuff, People look at the good stuff and they go, nice. It's not for me, but it's a nice story. We speak of God only as a God of love and mercy often. 
but do not offer the world the whole description of who God is as presented in the Bible. He's a God of wrath and greatness who should be feared and worshipped. And if we don't declare this truth, it's unlikely that people will be saved. Therefore, the modern emphasis of grace without obedience, of faith without repentance, of mercy without wrath, of heaven without hell, is a dishonest representation of who God is. The God of greatness is a just God. The God of greatness is a wrathful God. The God of greatness is full of vengeance. The God of greatness is a God of fury against sin. The God of greatness should make us tremble before him in awe. The God of greatness should be worshipped with reverent fear. I love God all the more because of his greatness. Because if he didn't reveal his greatness, his wrathful greatness to me, I would still be surfing out at Camden Avon, living my life in complete rebellion against God. What a meaningless life. God is the God of wrath who is to be feared and worshipped by all nations. But if we do not teach about the great God of consuming fire, the nations will have no reason to fear or worship him. And so no fear of God equals Typically speaking, no worship of God. Dr. John R. Rice, an old Baptist evangelist, said this, quote, Throughout the Bible, the fear of the Lord is held up as one of the greatest of all virtues. It is the foundation of Christian character and holiness. It is necessary for genuine repentance and real conversion. How right he was. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And so if the nations do not fear the Lord, the universal worship of God spoken of in Malachi 1.11 will unlikely be fulfilled. If we do not make them known, the terrible greatness of God, people remain indifferent to the gospel. What then is our call? Here's my prayer for the church in the next century. That we preach the whole gospel. That we behold all the attributes of God. That we make clear to all people the good news, but also the bad news for the unrepentant. We must pray that people would encounter the awesome power and wrath of God who awakens even the hardest of hearts. We must declare with our lips, as an old English hymn writer wrote, how great, how terrible that God, who shakes creation with his nod. As we saw earlier in the service at Psalm 29. If the nations do not fear the great God of wrath, they will have no reason to bow down before his majesty in worship. And so let me sum up my message in this one line today. This is your takeaway. God's wrath. Awakens the nations to his greatness, which results in worship. Yeah? God's wrath awakens the nations to his grace, greatness. It awoke me to his greatness. It's likely awoken you to his greatness.
In love for the lost, do not then shy away from declaring all the attributes of God. Rather, tell the world, as Hebrews 10.31 says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And so, friends, do you believe? Do you believe in this God? If you do believe in this God of greatness, of wrath, be assured your life will change. Amen. Well, friends, breathe in. Sometimes we have those heavier sermons. Sometimes we have easier to listen to sermons. But friends, I do pray that you will take home this message today. And that it will do a lot of things in your life. Um, such as encourage you to be generous. Um, when you give to the church, you support the ministry of declaring the whole gospel. And so I encourage you to continue to give. It also helps us to do projects like building the fence outside and managing all our infrastructure and things like that around the church. That's secondary to the major thing which we do, which is to proclaim the good news. And so please give generously to the ministry of the gospel here. And you can look at the back of your bulletin for more information. It's right there at the very bottom, at the left. You can see it there. Yeah, even youth can give. Maybe bring a dollar to church next week if you want to begin to cultivate that spirit of generosity in your own life. Well, friends, let us stand. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. Good news.